Well, good morning, church family. I'm so, so uh, grateful for you. I want to uh, specifically uh, thank you, those of you who reached out to uh, me and Kathy in this last week, last weeks, with words of encouragement, with your commitment to pray for us. We, we are grateful, deeply grateful for that. As you can imagine, these are uh, really challenging times. Um, so before I preach, I, I just feel I need to share something with you. Uh, and so for those of you who aren't church members, maybe you've caught wind of this, but um, I'm going to have to bring you in on something, a little family business. Church members, by now you've read those accusations against me. You've already heard from the other elders um, that they don't agree with the charges, and, and you're going to hear from us following the service what our next steps will be. But I just really desperately want to share my heart with you right now, and so I just ask you to bear with me for a moment. I've asked myself several times during this conflict, why don't you just give up? Some people want you out. You're done. It's been through my mind a thousand times. And uh, I want you to know I love you, and I do pray for you. I want to love Jesus more. And I was thinking about the story of, of at the end of the Gospel of John. We're going to get to that if the Lord permits um, in a few weeks. But uh, that story is, is uh, the Apostle Peter who, who had felt the, the weight of his colossal failure following uh, his three times denying even knowing Jesus. He decides that he is done. I'm going fishing. It's John 19. Uh, there in that story, after a miraculous catch of fish, Peter is now face to face with the risen Lord Jesus. And there at the edge of the sea, Jesus asks him. He asks him three times, and I don't think it's a, an accident. Three denials. He says, Peter, do you love me? Each time Peter affirms his love for Jesus. And to each of those, with each of those uh, of Peter's affirmation, Jesus' response to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So I take Jesus' command to the apostle Peter when he asked him, do you love me? I think about that. I love Jesus and my, my, my obedience for Jesus and my love for Jesus is borne out in that I, like every other man who's been called to proclaim the gospel, is to feed Jesus' sheep. I want to feed you Jesus' word. I love you by agonizing over the scriptures every week. I, I beg God to illuminate his word to me so that I can share it with you. I know I'm just a messenger, but I know that as I stand in this place, what you need most of all from me is to hear what Jesus says. I'm not special, I know that. 
I'm just a man. I'm a flawed man. I long for the character of Christ to be formed in me. So when I preach, I preach to myself. And before I preach, hopefully you hear me pray that God's voice would be heard above mine. I am not here to impress you with me. I am not sinless. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm not aware of anything against me, but I am not thereby acquitted. There isn't anything in me we're defending, but my only confidence before you, brothers and sisters, my church family, my only confidence before you is that I am in Christ. That's all I have. Because I believe that he died on the cross to take my own sin and clothe me in his righteousness. I know, I know that he has accepted me. There are six members demanding that you consider removing me. And I've expended a lot of energy worrying about tomorrow, but I can't do that. I can't worry about what you will do I just simply have to trust the Lord. And so if he chooses to sustain me here, then I praise God. If he chooses to cause me to be set aside, then I have to say with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But as I stand here this morning, as long as the Lord gives me breath, I will do what I am called to do. I want to devote myself to prayer and the ministry of the word, loving you by bringing the word of God, feeding you on his word. Therefore, I will, just as Paul exhorted Timothy, I will preach the word. I will be ready in season and out of season, and boy, does this feel like it's out of season. I will reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, and not because I am anything special, but because this word is the living and active word of God, and you and I need it. It is our daily bread. So as long as God gives me breath, that's what I will do. So would you pray with me as we prepare to hear the word? Father in heaven, we, we need to hear from you. And Father, as I always pray, I want your voice to be heard above the voice of a mere man. We need your truth to penetrate our hearts and our minds. Your word is the truth that will set us free. We want you, Father, to make us more like your son, Jesus. And I, I can't help but think that there are those who are putting much focus on the messenger this morning. I don't want that. I want to pray, Father, and I do pray, I earnestly pray that you would direct all of our minds to your truth. 
I want Jesus to be exalted in everything I say. So please, Holy Spirit, control my tongue. Cause me to say only what is for the glory of Jesus and the edification of your people. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, as we uh, take up our exposition through the Gospel of John, um, by the providence of God, we find ourselves in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I say by the providence of God, and as we read it together, you'll see this could not be humanly organized. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, prayed for us. He prayed for us. He prayed for us because we need something in particular. And he prays for us as well because the world needs something from us. And what Jesus prays for our sake and for the sake of the world is ultimately for his own glory. We see the world is a mess. This pandemic has mercilessly taken the very uh, most vulnerable in society, and we've seen it do that. And there's been this obvious human and economic cost that we, we haven't even fully understood. But beyond that, there's this social cost, this social consequence. People, in dealing with these uh, guidances from various governors, the response of people to one another is, is people who understand it and follow closely. Shame those who don't understand it and don't follow closely. We're not sure what the law is, and there's new morality that surrounds all of this. People are being shamed for visiting family and friends, and others made to feel silly because they don't. And then we just see the absurdity of, of, of things going on. Clinics where they snuff out the lives of the unborn are considered, considered essential, while a family perhaps enjoying a day at the beach receives a fine. Our minds are spinning. What is this crazy world we're in? And then most recently, what appears to be a merciless abuse of police power and the killing of George Floyd. It's opened this, this racial wound in our nation that has never really been healed. And the ranks of those who righteously call for justice and reform, those have been infiltrated by anarchists and criminals who, who destroy property. And they inflame the oppressed into doing things that they would never have done or never have considered right. Sin begets sin. Clearly, the citizens of this world, we cannot govern ourselves. This nation is divided. The world is divided. We so desperately need the mercy of God. But of course, the world is not only a mess. Right now, it feels like we are too. We've been embroiled in this conflict that has cut us to the core. A conflict that is destroying our witness and giving the evil one something to boast about. 
Let me read our passage of Scripture now in light of all of that. This is John chapter 17, verses 20 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord, Jesus' prayer. I do not ask for these only, he's speaking about his own disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Look at verse 21. This is why I think the Lord has providentially led us here this morning. Jesus' prayer for us that they may be one. So this morning, what I want to do from this passage of Scripture is, is share four truths about oneness, about unity that we must take to heart today and every day as we consider what it means that we are the people of God. And I'll just give these to you up front. Here are these four truths. True unity is possible because of the gospel. True unity is in Christ himself. True unity displays Jesus' glory. And true unity authenticates the gospel. And I'm speaking about true unity among the people of God. First, true unity is possible because of the gospel. Now, there have been few, a few times in world history when a single message has radically changed the world, whether for good or bad. I saw an educational website that, that put four of those statements out. And uh, um, the first one that changed the world uh, was regarding Galileo speaking about the, the, the celestial bodies in orbit. He said, yet it moves. Marx and Engels Working men of all countries unite. Nelson Mandela, I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. And not too long ago, when Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Now, it might be argued that these statements changed the course of human history they may have altered things for a time, but no message save one has ever had the power to change the course of a life for all eternity. That's the gospel. Jesus prays, verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, in the previous section, Jesus prayed for the 11. He commissioned his 11 remaining disciples. You'll recall that Judas betrayed him and killed himself. He commissioned his remaining 11 disciples by sanctifying himself, setting himself apart for them in the truth. And that truth was the very message about Jesus that they would ultimately share after Jesus was crucified, after Jesus was raised from the grave, after he ascended to the Father to be at his right hand and rule. That word that Jesus spoke, that word that the apostles heard, that word that Jesus affirmed in Peter, when Peter made that declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that word, that same word, good news about Jesus that the Apostle Paul affirmed in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 when he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now most of you are here this morning or watching online because you heard that word and you believed it. And as I thought about it, it's amazing to think that, that Jesus knew. He knew you and he prayed for you and me because that word sent and given to his immediate, immediate followers would pa be passed from generation to generation to generation and would cause you to believe. So as Jesus prays, I pray for them that will believe in this word through these first, those who would believe as that message given to us in the New Testament. He prayed for us that we would be one. This gospel message, if this message is what saves us and if it what defines us as the people of God, then it's the same message that must unite us. Therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message by which we came to believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that must be, that has to be our primary focus. We have to look to that message. You see, there are a lot of other things that, that, that people try to unite around. And churches have fallen into that, that same trap. We've seen it before. Some churches try to unite around maybe a music style. Have you heard of the, the country and western church or a cultural style? But you know, if we try to unite around those things, they can so easily divide us. Now, I'll grant you there are some things worth dividing over. Does someone deny that Jesus died and rose again? I cannot regard that person as a brother or sister in Christ. But there are so many things that churches focus on that have nothing to do with the gospel, like I gave you examples. Western church, hip-hop church, just plain hip church, woke church, LBGT-affirming church. And some churches take secondary matters of doctrine, and they make them primary, and they divide over them. Does he, that person, think the earth is old or young? Or maybe they... they think the Bible speaks of a specific timeline of events in the end 
Amill, post-mill, historic pre-mill, dispensational pre-mill. You might not know what these labels are, and if you do and they matter a lot to you, I, I would encourage you, don't divide over those. Is someone convinced that Amazon is the Antichrist? Sometimes I joke that way. What we think of the end times, what we think of some secondary matters of doctrine that are not the gospel, they're not meant to be our emphasis, brothers and sisters. And sometimes, without even having a stated purpose, churches fall into the trap of, of, of making primary things that, other things that don't have anything to do with the gospel. How people raise their kids, homeschool, public school, how people cho choose to spend their money, what political party they vote for, what kinds of freedoms they have. Does he have, she have a glass of wine or not? And tragically, tragically, so many churches, maybe even implicitly, not explicitly, have united around skin color. White church, black church. When we're not united around the gospel of Jesus, we become like the world. The world has great expertise in division, don't they? You just you saw it last week. A quarterback says he loves his country, answering a question. Another teammate shames him. He retracts the statement. I didn't see what he had to say. Someone states that they're against looting and rioting. Another says he's a racist. Or, or in, the, in the political discourse, it's so sad. Did you just say something about someone I hate? Therefore, I now hate you. The world is expert in finding division. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we want true unity as the people of God, we must hold to the message of the cross of Christ, the good news. The Apostle Paul said this in regards to his preaching. To put the focus where it needed to be, he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see where the focus is, the priority on the gospel. May we be defined by nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he died for your sins and that he rose again to give you eternal life. Oh, May we be one. Second, true unity is in Christ himself. In Christ himself. Jesus prays, verse 21, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. If you look at Jesus' prayer, you see that it, this prayer for unity has a purpose. That they also may be in us. And Jesus gives, uh, in the prayer, illustrate what that looks like. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now we've got to try to think of what that means. God the Father and God the Son and not mentioned in Jesus' prayer here, but along with the Holy Spirit, are one. They are one, yet distinct in person. Though there is diversity of persons in God, there is 
one being. As it says in Deuteronomy, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what I take that to mean is that, that to truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that to truly believe that he is the Christ is to be in him. To be in Christ is to be united with him. The Bible says that you are united with Christ when he died for you. Colossians 3 says, you have been raised with Christ. So it's Colossians 3, 1 and 3. You have been raised with Christ. So there's an identification with him. And verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in the being of God. I'm just spend some time thinking about what that means. So if you're united with Christ, you are in Christ. And to be in Christ is also to be one with others that are in him. So the, the conclusion that we must draw is that you cannot stand apart from others who are in Christ. You cannot unlink from others who are in Christ. You cannot stand over others who are in Christ. One who is in Christ does not have a favored position over another who is in Christ. Kathy and I watched the movie American Gospel. Uh, Allie uh, dropped by the other day, Allie McDade, and uh, gave us some wonderful brownies and some encouraging conversation. Uh, anyway, she said, watch this movie, it's great. And so Kathy and I watched it. But what was startling to, to see is how some of these so-called preachers twisted the scriptures to suit their own selfish ends. But, but the way that they would talk, the way, the things that they said, it, it sounded like they believed that God had given them, them you, this unique authority over the hearts of others. It seemed blasphemous, as if they were claiming without saying the words, claiming to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they divide the body of Christ. They do that, of course, for their false teaching, but also for their claims of spiritual superiority. It's as if they say, God speaks to me and tells me this or that about you. They're standing apart or over someone else in the body of Christ. I think there's something supernatural that happens when we are in Christ. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in his prayer. We're not only united with him, we're united with others who are also in Christ. And I ask myself the question, what in creation most closely resembles the kind of unity that the Father has with the Son? What, what is there that we can look at? It's the church. That unity is what is pictured in the bread. We haven't been able to do this for a while, but at the Lord's table, that bread that we share at the Lord's table. Think of, of how Jesus instituted that. Jesus took that bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples as they each took from Jesus' hand a part of the same loaf, saying, this is my body which is given for you. When I used to read that, I, I thought that Jesus was talking about the fact that it was broken. I broke it for you. Well, 
the, the, the cup, the cup illustrates his self-sacrifice, but the body given. The breaking was just a means of handing it out. The breaking is not the focus, it's the giving which was the focus. That's that unity that's pictured. That's Luke twenty two nineteen. 19, if you want to look it up. So in that meal, Jesus reminds us that he has already given something of himself, not in the actual bread. That's, a, that's just a symbol. But in the, the physical presence of others who are also in Christ. When I'm with brothers and sisters, I'm having something, and I don't want to be I don't want to stretch this too far, but I get something of the physical presence of Jesus in you. This unity has been secured in Jesus, but it is applied in real time by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So look around the room. These are people who are in Christ. You need them. You cannot cast them aside. You cannot put any one of them in a category called rejects. If he or she is a child of God, you are one with them. Let us act like it. Oh, may we be one. Third, true unity displays Jesus' glory not a great illustration, but just go with me in this. I, I think some of us are Zoom weary. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for the technology. I am, but I think you'd agree it's a dim reflection of the reality of a physical presence for a, for a Bible study, for worship, for a prayer meeting, for, for fellowship. I, I, I think in, in a similar way, however, we we dimly reflect the character of Christ. But not every aspect of the character of Christ because, because he is God. But we do dimly reflect something. We're kind of like the Zoom versions of Jesus. But get this, Jesus does desire for us to reflect his glory. Jesus prayed, look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Hear what Jesus is saying. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that, so it would accomplish this unity that is the, the similar to the unity that the Son has with the Father. Well, I have to ask the question, how and in what way has Jesus given us his glory? Like I said, we're the Zoom version of it, but but I think more real, more authentic. Now, in, we, as, as it regards Jesus' glory, we, we certainly don't display Jesus' perfect justice. <clears throat> we don't display his perfect knowledge, nor his almighty power, nor his 
wisdom, but there is a particular aspect of his glory that I believe he has in mind for us in this prayer. And you have to look back at verse one of this chapter. In the first part of this prayer where Jesus prays for himself, look at 17.1. Jesus prays, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now I believe that Jesus' glory that he is praying for is not something on the other side of the cross, but the cross itself. That was glory. Because Jesus there put on display something that, the only, that only the triune God could do to, to show the immeasurable mercy of God in a single glorious act. God's just wrath for our sin was unleashed on the Son, thus granting mercy Mercy to all who are in Christ. Mercy to forgive our sin. And not just the ones that we think, well, those are excusable, but all of them. The ugliest of the ugly, hideous sins. And, and not only the ones that we have done, but the ones that we don't even know we'll do yet. All of it. Mercy. And that forgiveness, that's something that the world, they simply don't grasp. They, they can't because they have never experienced it. I'm talking about people outside of Christ. See, what the world does is what the devil does. The world delights in shaming. Just, I tend to use, because I watch a lot of news, I tend to use political examples, but just look how this has played out in the political discourse. One candidate believes that they have a righteous reason, of course, and so what they do is opposition research on their opponents. They, they assemble lists of gaffes and careless words, eager to publish the politician's list of sins. And if they should apologize for, for something, they are then criticized for not being sincere enough. And that political strategy is so ugly. If I could just get you to see how bad that person is, you could join my camp. How great is that temptation? And obviously I'm preaching out of a context here this morning. I know that temptation is there for me. When I feel someone has sinned against me, the evil one whispers in my ear, Add that to the list. Save that one up. Just more evidence. And then the temptation, just gather people around. You need to understand how bad they are. Let me tell you. With every fiber of my being, I must resist that. Brothers and sisters, we must resist that. Satan keeps lists, not Jesus. Satan tempts Jesus' followers to keep lists. But I can imagine that, that whatever list of sins the accuser brings before you in your mind or before the Lord Jesus, I can imagine Jesus saying, simply pointing to the cross and saying, I became sin for him that he may become the righteousness of God. To paraphrase 2 Corinthians 5.21. So what do we do? What do we do, brothers and sisters? 
Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. If you have an unforgiving heart, you behave like a rabid dog, frothing at the mouth, destroying everything in its path, and it will eventually destroy you. The Apostle Paul commanded the Ephesians, and it's for us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. No. No to bitterness. No to wrath. No to clamor. No to slander. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. But think about this. As God in Christ forgave you, how did he do that? How did God in Christ forgive you? How did God in Christ forgive me? I got to think about this. When were you and I forgiven? When did God decide to cast your sin as far as the east is from the west? When did he decide to do that? Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God determined to forgive us even before we were aware of our sin he decided to cover our sin at the cross of Christ even before we were created. So if, if we forgive as we have been forgiven, then we cannot have any conditions on forgiving our brothers and sisters. None. And understand this. Forgiveness is not platitudes. It's not in empty words, but it's proven out in not requiring anything of the offender. We do not get to extract payment for someone's sin against us. This is how it works. Either that sin will be paid for on the day of judgment or that sin will be heaped on Jesus, just like your sin was. But either way, we don't play a part in it. not our deal. You know, as evangelicals, uh, we are justified, I believe, in our criticism of the Roman Catholic doctrine of penance. I think some of you grew up with this. You know what that is. It's where you confess your sins to a priest, and then he gives you some particular task to accomplish to then have your sins forgiven. And as I've been told, they're usually easy things, rosary, repeated prayers, Hail Marys, and the like. Now, we would never do that to each other as evangelicals, as, as believers in Jesus. But do we sometimes require an offending brother or sister to do penance for us? 
think about this. Your apology was not sincere. You didn't convince me that you meant it. Maybe meaning you didn't grovel enough. Or, I'm very offended, so I need to give you, not that we say these things, but we behave it. I need to give you more of that silent treatment. Or, you need to be held accountable. Then I'll forgive. We forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. So take this to heart. Listen to what Jesus says. And I'm preaching to myself here. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's heavy. Do you know what it means if the Father doesn't forgive you your trespasses? It means you're judged in the fire of hell. Don't, don't let unforgiveness grip your heart. Now I get it, it's hard to restore fellowship without an offender owning up to specific offenses. But if you, if you store them up and never share them with that person, with the heart of forgiveness in advance, and that's important, then you don't understand what God has done for you in Christ. It's in forgiving one another that the glory of Jesus is displayed that same glory that Jesus displayed at the cross. And when we do that, that's evidence of our unity. That's what Jesus prayed for. May we be one. And finally, my fourth point really is a conclusion. True unity authenticates the gospel. Uh, Dion Warwick sang, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. That's true. But where is the world going to get it? That's the question. Where is the world going to get true love? They need to see it in us. Our love, which is expressed in unity in Christ Jesus, has a purpose. It authenticates, it makes tangible the gospel message. Jesus prayed for us, verse 21, that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, verse 23, that they may become perfectly one, completely so that the world may know that you sent me. That so that, that's very important. Jesus is linking our oneness, our unity with the world, believing the very message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God who came into the world. The importance of this cannot be overstated, brothers and sisters. 
if we are not united, then our message looks foolish to the world. It looks foolish. If we can't demonstrate our love for one another through forgiveness, then we're nothing but a noisy gong, crashing cymbal, making lots of noise, but of just annoying. If we and the body of Christ want to call out racism and injustice in the world and we're not unified, we look like fools. Why would anyone, why would anyone believe what we have to say about the cross if it has no effect on how we behave to one another? I'm not accusing you of not being unified. I'm not accusing you of wanting to be divisive. I'm not. I'm just saying we've got to protect that. Let us not compromise the message. Let us do everything in our power to authenticate it by the way in which we behave towards one another. Jesus' prayer for us is the Holy Spirit's plea again for us today. True Unity is possible because of the gospel. So let's keep our focus there. We can look left and right and, and see how somebody doesn't measure up. That's not meant to be our focus. Look to the message of the gospel. Remember what Jesus did. That word which saves people. And understand this. We can be unified with one another because we are in Christ, we are connected with others who are in Christ. There's no getting away from that. So we cannot stand apart from a brother or sister and say, I have no need of you or I reject you. And true unity, Jesus said he would give us his glory. The aspect of that glory is the grace and forgiveness and mercy towards one another. What Jesus did at the cross for us, flowing from each of us to one another. And step outside this conflict. Think about your own life. Is there a conflict that's ongoing between a family member or a friend? I can't obligate someone to forgive me, but Jesus obligates me to forgive anyone and everyone. That's the glory of Jesus. True unity ultimately authenticates the gospel. Apostle Paul says, referring to different cultural groups, he says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, 
having the new self, being in Christ. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. True unity authenticates the gospel. It makes it tangible to the world. So for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, may we be one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I so, we also desperately want Jesus' prayer to be our reality. So we ask you to do that among us. And where each of us need to put a focus where it ought to be, and we're looking in the wrong place and we're, we've, we've missed the fact that the gospel is before us. Lord, we confess that. Lord, where we have set a brother or sister aside, perhaps even rejected them, Lord, would you teach our hearts to see them as those who have their life in you. And Father, as we are confronted with our own list-keeping, our own grievances, Lord, give us the grace, the supernatural grace to set those offenses aside and without condition transfer the debt to you it is not ours to correct. We forgive because we've been forgiving and that is to the glory of Jesus. So may that be true among us. And Lord, when all of that is in place, we know we can say to the world, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins and be made alive. And then that message will have a ring of truth because they'll see it lived out. Oh, may, may it be so. May we be one. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.